Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm in my home. Joining you from here, and also in his own home, joining us is the founder of Mission USA, Glenn Fitzgerald. I wanted to come over to Matt's place to record this, but he was just a real big snob about it. That's right. I've never actually told Glenn where I live. <laughs> Whenever he says, like, I'll, I'll just run that by you. I was like, I just shout, look over there and run the other way. Been doing that for eight years now. He hasn't caught on. Also joining us, the director of Mission USA Productions, Jed Brewer. Hello! Joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger. Everybody knows where I live. That's true. He he won't stop telling us. We <laughs> we asked, but he really shouldn't have hired that plane to fly around the country pulling the GPS coordinates of his home behind him. <laughs> So we are we are with you here. We have some great questions ready to go. We have a lot of fun stuff planned for you. But we must start by declaring an emergency. An emergency? We have an emergency of impersonation, of Glenn-personation, as a matter oh. of fact. Earlier in the week, I received an email that showed up in my email box as being from one Glenn Fitzgerald. Okay. It said, it was on a Wednesday, which is our traditional day off, and it said, in an all lowercase, kind of clipped manner, can you do me a favor soon? And I thought, well, that's, Glenn's normally a little more, uh, he would normally text this to me, he's a little more accommodating that, but maybe it's something wrong, I'll check in. Sure, boss, what do you need? I need you to run to the store and grab something, we'll reimburse you. Okay, it's coronavirus, you know, it's we we've been running care packages to folks, we've been yeah. picking up some cleaning supplies and all that, and maybe that that's that's all fine. I'm happy to do that. It was weird that he said, I need you to go to store. But again, <laughs> we could be in a rush. I've certainly yeah, made those yeah. kind of problems. Also, maybe Glenn could maybe Glenn's just trying stuff out now that he's in, in sheltered home and he's for, he's lost some of the, the bits of the English language that we all used to have. Who has time for definite articles at a time like this? No doubt. <laughs> so then I said, my response was, well, that's okay, we can do that. What do, you, what, what do you need to do? And the response came back, I need you to go to a store and get $500 worth of Steam gift cards and f- send me <laughs> pictures of the codes on them. <laughs> and I thought, well, that seems odd. Yeah, not odd. A, not a video gamer myself. Didn't, uh, didn't decide to look up what Steam was. Um, So it's apparently a video game streaming platform, which everyone other than me knew. So at that point, I texted Glenn and said, uh, do you want me to go pick you up $500 of the Steam cards? (laughs) He said no, and someone else is getting those messages. So, you know, at that point, I clicked, you know, you you have a name in your, uh, like the emails, like to from, and it just the the names in your your contacts. I clicked down and the email address was a long string of letters and numbers at yahoo.com so that was a that was a situation and i i really missed my moment to uh i just kind of said no and deleted the email but i I regretted not taking my moment to really mess with uh said spammers right but i just didn't have an idea you know kind of i was hoping i'd get that kind of you know the the floor creak moment where you get the idea what i would the best idea that was given me at the time was by my my beloved wife who said Instead of the pictures of the gift cards, you should send them a picture of something else. And I thought, well, that could be something. And started brainstorm, and she immediately went, like a toilet. <laughs> and that's not... You, you know what? 
You know what? That's a really good effort there. That's See, a nice try. That's the thing I can't I can't tell if that's a good idea or a bad idea. I can't tell that's, if that's it, a blank it, or if it's so wildly conceptual that it comes back around to art. You know, there's a lot of good hustle behind that idea. You know what it is, Matt? It's someone who isn't used to biting, vulgar, vicious comments, trying to approximate what that kind of person would do. Oh, that's sure, true. Sure, this kind of stuff is better left to the professionals like myself, but... Still, that's a lot of heart there. It is. It is. It's 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 something to build on. That's right. So, gentlemen, in the in the 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 kind of creative free space of how one might, and maybe this will continue to be a scam. Maybe it'll be the new Nigerian prince. Will be emails from a Glenn Fitzgerald imposter asking you for video game <laughs> gift cards. How might one respond to this if one were in the situation? Well, I think one option that I think it, it captures um, Jenna's very excellent suggestion, which is you have to go to the store and you have to buy a Steam gift card. One would be fine, I mean, the smallest denomination available. You take a picture of it, but then you Photoshop the code uh-huh. to be something else, suggesting activities this person could engage with, places uh-huh. that they could stick their head, for example. A toilet could be on that list. How did you come up with that, dude? Now, the game is, how far into typing this code into Steam do they get before they realize what's been done to them? Well, you've made a a really amazing suggestion by accident there, Jed, in that can Steam, the online gaming service, come up with a game where you torture people who are trying to to scam you in exactly this way? Because ah. oddly enough, I would pay to entrap this person into some form of uh, you know human torture online, where other people could you know enjoy mistreating this person. Now, Glenn, it sounds like you're pitching two different things there. You started off with could Steam make a game where you mess with the person who's trying to scam you, kind of a yeah. an L.A. noir kind of Batman, you know, hit. It actually something, but then at the end, it sounded like you were pitching Steam trapping them inside a PlayStation game where you could actually <laughs> torment their essence. Yeah, can we actually suck their soul into a video game? Do we have the technology for that? I I don't know the ins and outs. I, you know, I'm I'm not a hardcore gamer. Yeah, I kind of I kind of stopped gaming about Duck Hunt level, which would be a fun thing to catch someone you don't like in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if your gaming references are Frogger, none of this makes any sense to you. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, there, you know, but I want to get back to Jenna. You know, I just, I love that. I think this says something about how good of a person she is. That if you, she said, okay, I'm going to think of something really vicious to say or do to this person toilet you know that was that was just that's as far as she could go and i think that says a lot of positive things about her as a person well i entirely agree because i was brainstorming much in the same way jed's talking about there i was brainstorming psychological warfare right 
I was brainstorming expired gift cards for other things like, cause this is my day off. How much time, how much of this person's time can I waste by getting them close to thinking they're getting what they get? And then me just sending like pictures of the front of a steam gift card. Right. that just have the code on and being yeah. like, I don't, yeah. I don't understand. And just sending them pictures of like one of my eyes. Like I got the camera facing the wrong way. <laughs> like, right. is that it? I mentioned before we started recording, uh, Glenn, one of the last live bridge services we had before uh, the shelter in place order was telling a story about uh, where the long and the short of it is at the end, uh, a bunch of gentlemen involved in a organization on the West side of Chicago inform him that uh, the thing they normally do to people who people have problems with costs $2,000, but for Glenn it's free. And I thought about trimming that audio and just sending it with the caption, this is the person you're impersonating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do know people, you know, that's, uh, you, <laughs> you, you, you don't want to push a man too far because and I was trying I, to, pitch I know ways I, to, I, to engender fear or frustration or horror. And yeah, I think Glenn, you make a very good point that my wife just went with, I want to hurt someone. I want to do a bad thing. I want to injure someone in some way. Picture of a toilet. Yes, I think that is, you know, it was a good try. We give a lot of credit for the effort from my beloved wife. And, uh, you know, it's hard to be around us and be a good person. And we appreciate the effort when people try to sink so deep as to come down to our level. And on that, I think we shall declare emergency off. Toilet. Toilet, indeed. One thing that will not feature you a picture of a toilet. This one, this, that's my new... You know, like you have a replacement for like a curse word, like you, you say fudge or darn it when you really mean a curse word. Right. And that or way the Lord that, doesn't know you're trying to curse. That's that's exactly right. So 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 from my new version of that is gonna to be toilet. I like it. You know, if I stu if I stub my toe in the middle of the night, I'm gonna say, ah, toilet. It's it's a very Ned Flanders type of it's the worst word one can think of. Right. One thing that will not feature a picture of a toilet, probably. I can't imagine what topic that would be based around is Bridgebox. No, it's just sermon songs, Bible studies, the like about a, a monthly topic. This month we're talking about change. If you'd like to hear a little more conversation about dealing with change, you can check out the first question of last week's episode on more on that but missionusa.com slash bridgebox if you want to get involved. Get some extra encouraging stuff into your inbox every month. And if you want some free stuff encouraging on your Facebook page, that's right. You can find something positive on Facebook. They said it couldn't be done. You can tune in every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. for our live bridgecast. 7.30 p.m. Chicago time. We certainly hope you'll join us over at facebook.com slash thebridgechicago. We're going to jump to our first question here, which comes in to us anonymously and says, what is real success from a Christian point of view? And that is a really cool question and uh, a lot, a lot to think about there. And Jed, where would we kick off? It's a great question. And I'm, and I'm glad that you asked. I think it's a really good question because on a bunch of levels, and one of them is that, um, 
it's the kind of question that makes Christians uncomfortable, I think, mm. um, which is good. I, I think whenever you're asking questions that, that make uh, church people uncomfortable, you're headed in a good direction. You know, you may recall the story where a couple of Jesus' disciples were arguing about who would be the greatest. And the interesting thing is he doesn't um, knock them for wanting to be the greatest. He just tells them how. And so I think that there's there's something to that for this question here. And I want us to look together at Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is a collection of parables that Jesus told about the literal end of the world, actually about Judgment Day. And um, I think for a lot of people, they are stuff that we try to not think too much about because they're really scary and um, they involve, you know, being told that we ignore Jesus when he was a poor person and, and being sent away from the Lord and whatnot. And, and there are elements in, in those stories, to be sure. But I think one of the things that we often miss is that Matthew 25 is also an awards ceremony. Um, nice. It, it is a time where God is going through and saying, hey, dude, you did a really great job. Hey, man, I really like what you did. That was really great. And you're asking what is – Matt, do you remember the question specifically is what is success as a Christian? That's correct. So for God to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, I'm pretty sure that's that's it. Like that's the maximum strength uh, all the way success. The question is, how do we get there? Uh, how do we arrive at being told, well done, good and faithful servant? Well, we want to be clear on a couple of things. There, there is a, a theological implication here. You are not saved by your good works. You are saved by Jesus' death on the cross. Um, there's, there's nothing that you do to add to that. Um, uh, your salvation is a pure gift. It is an act of grace, uh, period, the end. That said, there is a life that God wants us to, to lead that would be pleasing to him. And I think that Matthew 25 suggests two of the elements that, that he would really like about that. The first element is that we would care for the least of these, my brothers, that in, in some way we would be involved in uh, feeding the sick and clothing the naked and uh, visiting the, the sick and the imprisoned. That might be through supporting others who do that work. That might be through doing it ourselves. But that in some way, we would be a part of recognizing uh, Jesus amongst the least of these and doing something about the, the situation that they are dealing with, the struggles yeah. that they are dealing with. That's something where God looks at that and says, well done, good and faithful servant. But the second part of the kind of life that God would have us lead, again, this is a responsive life. This is not a life that, that earns um, God's love or God's salvation. That's a gift. But there's a kind of life that God's looking for us to, to live. And, and the second kind of life actually is the story in Matthew 25 right before the sheep and the goats. And that's about the guys who have been given uh, basically treasure. And then the master goes away on a journey and he comes back and he wants an account. And there are the two servants who say, you gave me this much treasure. Look at all that I did with what you gave me. Um, and the master is very pleased by that. He really he really likes that. And so 
the takeaway, one of the takeaways for the kind of life God is looking for us to lead is a life where we take the gifts that God has given us and we do something with it. Um, we in, in some way use those gifts to make the world a better place, to bring joy and peace and comfort to other people, to uh, strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ, to um, spread the gospel. We, we, we do something with the gifts we've been given in a sense to multiply them. I've, I've heard it said um, by, by particularly by older Christians that on the day of judgment, God is going to ask two big questions of all people. And those questions are, what did you do with my son? And what did you do with what I gave you? And what did you do with my son? That, that's, that's the question of salvation. You know, have, you, have you turned to the Lord Jesus Christ as the means of your salvation? But that question of what did you do with what I gave you? Have you used the things that I gave you? Have you used them to in some way improve the lives of those who are hurting and suffering? I think that's where we start to look at what it means to succeed as a Christian. That's absolutely right. That's all really, really good stuff. Um, Leo, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because all the stuff Jed said is, is right on. And he mentioned kind of some of the counterintuitive nature of this. And I, I don't think it's sufficient to say uh, Chris, the, what looks like success as a Christian is not what the world says is success because we still have absorbed so many of those messages yeah. that it takes a little while to untangle. So, how do we start looking at what the differences are between worldly success and Christian success? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. I mean, I I, I love where Jed is coming from this, uh, you know, on this whole deal. I think that we are so ingrained at looking at the things that the world prizes as important. Fame, money, achievement, influence, beauty, um, and what you find when you look at the scriptures is that like there's a there's a really clear picture in the old testament when the lord is talking about uh choosing this kid david to become his king where he sends the prophet samuel to the home of jesse who has a bunch of sons and he says one of this guy's sons is going to be the the king of israel and so uh, Samuel looks at the first guy and he's like, man, he's tall, he's strong, he's good looking, all of the things that everybody cares about. And the Lord says, that's not what I'm looking for. The next kid comes and he's not as tall or as strong as good, or as good looking, but he, he's still tall and strong, and good looking. And the Lord tells Samuel, that's not my guy either. We go through son after son after son after son. And finally, uh, Samuel says, do you have any sons left? And and Jesse, the dad, says, well, I've got the runt that's out there uh, taking care of the sheep. And Samuel says, bring that guy. And the Lord says to Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And I think that's... That is the heart of, of the answer to this question. When we look at what is a biblical definition of success, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Um, Jesus looked at a woman who gave two pennies and said, she gave more than anybody else. Jesus, when his disciples asked, who is the greatest, he took a little child and 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 put him up on his lap, and he said, unless you turn and become like this little child, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. Um, he looked at the 
the imprisoned and poor John the Baptist, a guy who wore a, a poncho of camel skin with a leather belt and ate bugs, and then who was imprisoned. And he said, this guy, this is in Matthew chapter 11. He said, there's never been anybody born of woman who's greater than this dude right here. We're talking about a guy who did not have uh, good clothes and who was imprisoned <laughs> currently sitting in a dungeon. And Jesus said, there's never been anybody that has ever been born of a woman who's greater than this guy right here. Um, in other words, it's exactly, uh, exactly along the line that Jed's talking about. The scripture throws on its head the whole idea of success or importance or um, what it means to do all those things. In other words, this, and, and by the way, this is why on this podcast, we always talk, talk about redefining what uh, success looks like, redefining what uh, the, the small victories that you should celebrate. We talk about that proverb that says, you know, uh, don't, you know, don't despise small beginnings because success in the scriptures is small it's quiet. It's unassuming. It's interior. It, it's, it's inside a person. And it's not sexy. It's individual. It means that each of us has to walk with Jesus individually, personally, and find out what he has for us and walk into that specific life with him. That is the whole key to this whole thing, is that we are looking for something that's smaller, that's different, that's interior, and that's specific to our situation. Uh, as Glenn said in our last episode, Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me. That's a very individual and precise thing. And that's what we need to look for is, what is Jesus calling me into? That's where I find out what success is. That's where I find out what greatness means for my life. And it's not what anybody defines in the normal sense of the word in, in, in that worldly point of view. That's a really, really great point that Lee makes there about a fundamental difference. And I'd love to get to pick us up there, but I think one of the most tempting ways to look at success from a Christian point of view is worldly success for Christian stuff. Right. Yeah. Like fame is hollow and fleeting, but if I get famous for doing yeah. a Christian thing, then that's awesome. And we need to move beyond yeah. that thought, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think my first instinct when I read this question, what's what what's real success from a Christian point of view? Uh, my my first instinct was to answer I don't know. I I I don't I don't know if I've had enough of whatever success is from a Christian point of view to tell you. Uh, some, some days I barely feel saved, you know, cause you know, I got, I got the issues and stuff. Uh, so, you know, maybe you could tell me, but I, I know what it's not. It's not numbers or money or fame. It's nothing wrong with those things. Uh, but all those things can be manufactured and they're they're If it's manufactured towards something good for something good, that's great. Nothing wrong with it. But, uh, that that isn't um, that isn't anything, and I think it's kind of interesting that uh, when we talk about success, the first thing we think of is something external, as in related right. to an accomplishment in the world. Uh, I don't know, but what maybe success from a Christian point of view ought to be something internal, like uh, having a lot of freedom 
in your life. You know, mm-hmm. that, that would be freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from a jacked up identity that other people are trying to get you to live out, uh, just freedom to be who God called you to be, uh, and really free to enjoy your relationship with God. That that sounds, that would be like a really successful, like that, whoever's doing that's getting it done, I would think. Okay. Uh, I, 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 these are things I'm still working on, so I don't, I don't know if I can tell you about success. Uh, but if we want to look at it in that external world, if that's specifically your question of, I want to be a success in the way I live out my Christian life, and I want to think of it in those terms, I, I think... I think I would boil that all the way down to 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 simply this: be a problem solver. Uh, the kingdom needs problem solvers. Uh, we have a shortage, uh, an extreme shortage. Uh, theologians and thinkers of great thoughts. We are. We've got more than anybody wants of that. If you say, I've got opinions, that's really what I bring to the table, is hot takes on everything. We <laughs> actually, we don't need that. That's that's not a need. Somebody who will solve a problem is, there is something literally divine about that. Uh, someone who can, you know, and that is someone who solves the problem of how are we going to have a service in here unless someone sets the chairs up so everyone can sit in them. That's somebody solving a problem. Uh, hopefully, the the dude on the mic solves some problems r- related to the lives that people are are living right in front of him. That's not always a given, however. <laughs> you know, uh, the the you know. The, so I think it's important to look at it from that standpoint. You know, we uh, it. it if you're looking to be a problem solver, if you understand what I'm saying there, you have to find somebody who has a problem. And that relates to what Jeb was talking about with the least of these. Uh, you know, those people have lots of problems. There's lots of opportunities to solve problems. So you can get after that really, really quick. You know, in our service, we have uh, been uh, and uh, Spike and Mark drive for us. Uh, they they drive uh, vans and they go and pick people up for the service. We wouldn't have a service unless they did that. That is a problem that, if it's left unsolved, just completely kills that meeting. So um, that's as important and divine of a thing as, as you can have. Therefore, that's as successful as you can be. Um, if you want, if you're asking this. Uh, in terms of ministry specifically, as opposed to just something that you're doing for the world, um, the ultimate goal for us is always reproducing ourselves, uh, putting, giving, equipping other people to do whatever it is we're doing. If that's driving a van, it's you know recruiting someone who can be there when you're not able to be there. If it's setting up chairs, it's you know maybe you know bringing your son or daughter along with you and showing them how you do it so they could do it uh, without you at some point. Passing that torch, le- raising other people up in whatever you're doing, uh, that is just about as high and successful as I can think of. Uh, and I, I think it's important to think in terms of uh, n- not trying to do 
not to measure success the way the world measures that, or even the way Christian culture measures it, but to measure it according to the person who is being helped and how they would view that impact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agree. That's all really, really good stuff. One thing um, that we want to say about success, and it's another one of these holy and weirdly unique issues of success within a Christian sphere is it is totally and intensely personal. It is case by case. Uh, Any other definition of success, you can kind of look at it and say, person A does this, that's success. Person B wants to do that because it's success. You know, you don't get to, you don't really get to like, there's a, some guy hits three thirty and wins two world series you don't look at another ball players like, well, he hit 195 and only played for two years, but that was his journey. So in a lot of ways, he was just as successful as that first person. But that's kind of another hallmark of success from a Christian point of view, as we often use the example of, you know, some some people are called to to kind of give away all their possessions and move to a foreign country and be a frontline missionary. Um, but if someone's called to work a nine to five job and donate and work in the children's ministry, then getting on the plane and going to China would be just as much of a sin as anything else. Cause it's about doing what you are personally called to do by God. And that means being in prayer. That means interacting with him a lot is the first way to get there. All right, move on to our second question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I was wondering if you could elaborate on talk of charity about there not being much difference between charity to yourself and to others, as you mentioned on a previous show about charity starting with yourself. I find that a bit confusing. I was not brought up to see things that way. Anything involving myself is stuck in my head as, quote, selfish and wrong. Mm. I would love to know more about what the Bible has to say about this. Great question. And Lee, where we started off? Yeah, this is really, really interesting. Uh, This is interesting for me coming from the kind of church background that I came from, which is, you know, I, I, I was kind of taught in that the, the, uh, some of you will recognize this, the method of prayer where they, they spell out the word acts, A-C-T-S, which is like, if you're going to pray, you start with adoration and then you start with confession and then you go into confession and then, um, then you go on to, uh, uh, Thanksgiving, and then you go to supplication. So you can't ask for anything until you've already uh, worshipped, confessed your sins, been thankful, and then you can start asking for stuff. Of course, that has nothing to do with Scripture. Uh, People ask Jesus for stuff all the time, out of nowhere, um, with no relationship with him whatsoever, and he was great with it. Um, It was just something people made up because the idea that you could ask you know, want anything for yourself was so crazy. As we've already talked about, though, this that's a Buddhist idea. You know, the idea that you could want anything for yourself. There is a holy greed um, that I want to talk about for a few minutes, which is that you there is a very holy sense in which you are allowed to have a kind of greed about, um, I want Jesus to love me. 
I want Jesus to be good to me. I want Jesus to meet my needs. And I want to ask him for stuff. And I want to ask him for a lot of stuff. And I want him to be extremely kind and tender and good to me. In the Bible, the word charity, that's that's a word that, like, when you see the word grace, uh, the English word grace, uh, that's a translation of the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, which is where we get the word charity. Um, we have received grace, charity, from Jesus, and we're supposed to give it. Now, the thing is, we're supposed to give it to ourselves, and we're supposed to give that grace to other people. That charity, we're supposed to, we've received it for free, and we're supposed to give it out for free. The thing about that is, is that we sometimes feel like, and, and church people can make us feel like, to give ourselves grace would be some kind of selfish thing. But actually, it's a very good thing. There's a place in the, the book of 2 Corinthians in uh, chapter 5 that says, we no longer see people from a worldly point of view. Uh, Paul says, indeed, we used to view Christ from this, from this way, but we don't do so any longer from a worldly point of view. From a worldly point of view, Jesus was a, a poor, homeless peasant. That was it. And that's the way Paul originally saw Jesus. And then the risen Jesus appeared to Paul, and the whole thing shifted, and the whole thing changed. And after that, Paul had the kind of grace and charity that, that we're talking about on everybody, including himself. And what he wound up saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is, we used to view people from a worldly point of view. We don't do so any longer. We view people with charity. We view, we view people with grace. And that includes ourselves. We are allowed to view ourselves with all kinds of goodwill and with all kinds of gift and with all kinds of freedom. And the the gospel is not anything if it's not good news. Um, I was talking to Glenn one time uh, before I was given the opportunity to, pre- to preach at the bridge. And one of the things that he said was, he, he said a couple of things to me before I went up on the stage. One of them was, remember, and you need to pray this way, you don't have what it takes to do this. That That's, that's thing number one. You need, that's the way you need to pray is, I don't have what it takes to do this. That's where you need, that needs to be your attitude. Thing number two I need you to remember is this. The people that you're going to be staring at, they need good news. Set them free. Yeah. That, that is what we want to do to the people in our lives, and that's what we want to do to ourselves. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not selfish. That's not uh, cheap grace or anything like that. By the way, in the, in the New Testament, there is no cheap grace. There's only free grace, okay? It's just right. free. It's not cheap. It's free. It's, bu- it's completely free. You don't have to pay anything for it. You just get it for free. That's what we're talking about. Charity, the charity of Jesus, he extends it to you, you get to extend it to yourself. Jed talked about in our last episode, be kind to yourself. That's my favorite thing that anybody said in our last episode. That's what you get to do for yourself as well. That's what the grace and charity of Jesus is about. It's good news for me, and it's good news for you. It definitely is. That is all wonderful stuff and a great framework in which to start talking about this. And Glenn, where would we take it from here? 
Well, yeah, I think these fellows are doing a great job of, of describing this stuff because really we're looking, we always have problems when we're looking at one extreme and we say, I don't want to be that. Well, then you end up being the other extreme, which is just as bad. So it, we all understand the concept of selfishness and greed and all that, you know, and just everything's about me, 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 and all this kind of thing. That's one extreme, and it is bad, and you are right about that. The other extreme, which is also bad and equally bad, is to say, I am not going to care for myself in any way, and therefore I will be no good to anyone, including myself. That's, that's bad, too. It's the exact same level of bad. Uh, if you think that version of, or that other extreme is sort of, um, I'm, I'm being really holy by just erring on the side of caution of not being selfish. Uh, what you're doing is you're taking yourself out. Because here's the thing, you're right, or, or you're, you have the right uh, deep down take on this, that servanthood is the goal. That's for all of us. Servanthood is the goal. But self-care is a, in, an essential ingredient to being a good servant. Uh, if you don't, if, if you're trying to serve other people and you don't eat, eventually you will faint and you will no longer be a servant of Christ. You will just be a lump of tissue in a puddle on the floor. Uh, that is zero effectiveness for the kingdom. That's that's a complete failure. Uh, so uh, self-care is essential to being that servant that we're trying to be. It's a means to an end. Uh, so that means, uh, it, as the Bible says, whether we eat or drink, we do it to the Lord. That's, that's part of what he's trying to say is everything needs to have a purpose. It needs to be fuel towards whatever it is that we're uh, supposed to be about. Uh, so it's not about don't ask for anything for yourself, don't do anything for yourself. It's about have a purpose for everything uh, that you're doing. Uh, if if I need to, uh, you know, unwind and play a video game in order to be sharp and relaxed and yes, fresh in my brain to do ministry, my playing that video game is a holy thing for me to do. And it's an unholy thing for you to try and bug me while I'm doing it, <laughs> because you're 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 messing up my refueling and recharging process. Uh, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter four, verse nine through eleven. Uh, here's what it says: So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So that's got it all right there. You're supposed to be resting. You're supposed to be recharging your batteries uh, because God did. So I guess you're, you're holier than God if you don't think you need uh, to be charitable and, and loving towards yourself. Uh, and and he's he's connecting this idea of a lack of rest leads to disobedience. I don't know if you've ever been so tired or frustrated or worn out in some sort of way where you haven't blessed yourself in any sort of way, you haven't let's get, let God bless you with things, and now your sanctification is hanging by a little thread. I've been there, so I can tell you that's that's not a godly place to be by just pouring yourself out until you know you're you're not until you're just 
you know, barely hanging in there. Final thought on this, uh, it, it, and I'm I'm hammering away at this really hard because I'm I'm fighting for you. I want you to have this kind of self care, this kind of love and charity towards yourself. But uh, Jesus said, "I'm going to sum up everything in this entire book." Here's what he said: "Love God," and then he said, "The other thing is," and he says, "This is like it." He says, "Love your neighbor as you love yourself." Here's the thing. If you aren't being loving towards yourself, you are not going to be loving towards your neighbor. Okay. That's He said the whole book can be summed up in love yourself, and then in the way that you are loving yourself, love your neighbor. Uh, it's, it's some of you listening to this, bless your heart, you really stink all to Hades on loving yourself, and it does affect and limit and, and, and shape the way that you love others. And it gives you a lot of pain and struggle and it tires you out and all of that. And you feel like, man, I, I feel like I'm, I'm struggling to be a Christian. I, I'm missing an ingredient here. The, the ingredient is that self-care, that self-love, uh, refreshing that and, and drawing that from God, drawing his peace and his comfort, his love. And then you're able to pour that out to others. And that is all excellent stuff and a really, really good place to take this. Jed, I'd love you to just pick us up right there on that idea of love your neighbors yourself because I think Glenn is absolutely right that that is, that is a, a foundational idea and something we need to build the rest of this off at. And I feel like there's a, a lot more to explore there. So what else will we say about that concept? I mean, that's a great question. And Glenn is absolutely right. I mean, that's that's the bottom line thing that Jesus makes clear is – no matter how we may feel about it, we really can't love others the way that God wants us to if we're not loving ourselves. Mm. Um, and, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Actually, the Bible gets into a lot of them, but, but that really does need to be said is God's idea of how you are to love others begins with you loving yourself. And there's not another way to do that. The Bible teaches a bunch of really interesting things about love, but one of them, which is really noteworthy, is that love is a skill that you can get better at. I want you to think about that for a second, because very few people think of love that way. But the Bible definitely says that that is the case. If you look at Philippians, Paul says that he's writing these things because he wants the people in Philippi to not only love much, but to love well. That's a huge distinction. I don't think most of us think about the idea that you could love in an ineffective way, but I promise you can. Mm. And if love is a skill, which means it's something that you can do well, you can get better at it, which again, the, the Bible clearly says that it is, then the question is, how do we get better at it? And like so many things, um, you get better at things by practicing them. And you, it turns out, actually, you, you only get passing moments, really, really, to be loving towards other people. Um, but you have all day, every day, to figure out how to love yourself. Every minute of every day is a moment where you have the opportunity to get reps on loving yourself. And as you do that, as you build those reps, as you as you get that practice, 
you will become better at loving just in general. And when that moment comes where you get the opportunity to be loving towards another person, you're ready for it. We all know that when we go to a concert and whether it's, you know, the first chair violinist busts out the big solo or the rock guitarist, you know, turns on that uh, wah pedal and goes to town, they've played those notes 10 million times before. They didn't just suddenly jump up and now they're jamming out. They've practiced this forever and a day. And that's how we get better with love. And, and loving ourselves is one of the ways that, that we get those reps, that we get all of that practice to become better at this thing. Mm. But the Bible also says something else about love. Is that it breaks down – you could think of it as the ingredients or the components, but if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, the, two of the very first things it says about love is that – Love is patient and that love is kind. So let's look at what Jesus said. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. If we're not sure what else to do, we can start by saying, be patient with your neighbor as you are patient with yourself. Be kind to your neighbor as you are kind to yourself. If you're not sure how to practice being loving towards yourself, then start with those two things. Practice being patient with yourself. Practice being kind with yourself. It's kind of an ephemeral concept sometimes to think about love, but being patient isn't. We all know exactly what it means to be patient or to not be patient with someone. We, we know what that is, and you, you know what it is to be patient or not with yourself. And again, one of the really wild things that the Bible is suggesting is that you really need to commit yourself to practice in being patient with yourself so that when the time comes, you can be patient with other people so that you are ready for that moment. I can tell you the flip side for sure, because it comes up in addiction recovery. It comes up in prison all the time. And it's one of the truest things that I've ever heard, which is hurting people hurt people. Yeah. Hurting people hurt people. When people are dealing with immense hurt in their hearts, they turn around and they inflict that on other people. What a true Christian understanding of love would tell you is that love overflows, that, that we receive love from God into our hearts and that it overflows into love for other people. But the interesting thing is that and the hurting people bit are describing the same thing. They're saying that our hearts overflow to the good or the bad. Either way, our hearts overflow. They overflow, and that overflow is what other people experience out of us. And so if we want to choose what overflows out of our hearts, then we have to choose what fills them up. And that does involve the, the really supernatural idea of receiving love from God, but it also involves choosing moment by moment to be kind with ourselves and patient with ourselves and learn how to love ourselves better today than we did yesterday. That is all beautiful stuff and very, very well put. Um, I think one of the things all these guys are pointing to, and I think Jed put it very, very, very well, is that all of this way we love ourselves is going to fundamentally influence or be influenced by, and I'm not 100% sure which is it does more, our concept of how love works. You, you, there's this idea of someone who is very austere and harsh and brutal to themselves, but very charitable and loving and uh, tender with other people. 
that's just not really a way things work. That's not, I've personally never seen such a thing. What I have seen, and I don't want to guess to your situation, but I've definitely seen it a lot, is people have a very similar idea that anything they do nice to themselves or think well of themselves is selfish and awful. Also, maybe we're raised to think that any nice thing you do for someone else in a way is kind of an insult or makes them weaker. Um, the, yeah. you, you use the term charity. How do the people who instilled in you the idea, whoever that might be, that charity to yourself is bad, how do they actually act about charity charity? I have a guess. And I get, my guess is that they there's a lot of talk about how being too nice to other people ruins them. There's the idea you've you've heard it's all I presume you know, well, give a man a fish he each for a day teach a man to fish in the Bible le- Jesus literally gives people fish. He does not give out but fishing they're... lessons. He does not teach them to be self sufficient. <laughs> yeah, right. He literally gives tens of thousands of people fish. Uh, there's criticism over and over from li- religious people and people at the time that Jesus was too loving in a way that was just too over the top. He didn't care that it was Sunday and he didn't care about decorum and he didn't care about this, that, and the other. And it was just all lovey dovey all the time. Yeah. And that did not lead to chaos and it did not lead <laughs> to people just becoming, I'm trying to think of a phrase based on welfare queen about grace. And it feels too out there even for me, but if anybody comes up with a good one, feel free to email us in that you'll become too dependent on the charity when the whole point of Christianity is you are entirely dependent on the charity and unmerited good things that God gives you. So all that to say, this is going to be a bit of a process from going from being harsh to yourself to being kind to yourself, but stick with it. It is worth it. It's something you can grow in. It's something that's going to get you a lot closer to the life Jesus has for you. It's going to bear a lot of fruit. The benefit of being kind to yourself as, as Jed mentioned, there is, you're going to learn a lot about being kind. You're going to learn a lot about being charitable and a lot about being loving. And that's all an excellent, excellent thing. Move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I call it to God when I'm in trouble, but feel like I forget about God when things are going well. How do I stay humble and connected to God when my life is going well? And another really great and insightful question. And Glenn, where would we start off with it? Well, yeah, I think uh, there's a tendency to uh, beat up on ourselves because you know we're we're on, we're only going to God for certain things. Uh, but you know, I think we have to start with the idea that there's never a wrong time to call out to God. So uh, there's that. Uh, also, there's never going to be a time when you have the perfect attitude towards calling out to God, or when, where, or how, or how often, or whatever. So. I don't know that I'm down with that kind of criticism. Uh, it, it, whenever there's sort of an unthinking beating up on oneself, I'm I'm always suspecting that if we take a, a deeper look at this, it's just not going to be quite what we're beating ourselves up about. In this case, uh, I, I said this in our, in our Bridge podcast, but I think desperation might play a role there. And, and to expand on those ideas, I think there's a—I I want you to ask, how often are you asking God in a state of desperation, 
that you're desperate for this to change in some sort of way. That can be changed getting away from something bad or going towards something good. Uh, but just, uh, you know, just I, I desperately need this. I desperately want that. I desperately feel like I have a struggle with this and just desperation in general. I think if you're in that place, then when you receive stuff from God, whatever it is, or you receive the thing you're desperate about, you're just relieved when you get it. So there is nothing to talk to God about. So you're, the the state of your relationship with God is de- is desperation based, and uh, that of course is a problem. We need to let that go. Uh, in fact, what we need is the opposite. So I want to give you a word. Uh, this is a Hebrew word, Rafa. You may have heard of that before. Uh, it's often translated as as healing, but the literal definition of Rafa, the, the Hebrew word, is to relax, uh, to withdraw, uh, to slacken, as in unclench. Uh, it, you may have heard about that recently, to unclench, uh, to, to let go. Rafa means to let go. Uh, that's that's my the number one thing I need to do in life is let go. Uh, if that's what we're going to, we're coming in a desperate state, and that's good, and that's right, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we want to go away from that conversation. In we come in with desperation, we want to go out with Rafa, that relaxation, the withdrawing from the world and from the things we're desperate of to slacken, to relax, to release, to let go. Uh, That's our goal. And this is how important that word Rapha is. Uh, God in the Old Testament refers to himself as Jehovah Rapha. Mm. That's, That's who I am. That's how I want you to think of me. That's a really powerful thing. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 46.10. He says, be still and know that I am God. Mm. The English word still in Hebrew is Rafa. Be relaxed. Withdraw from everything. You know, draw off to the side here. Relax. Let go. Be still. Unclench. Know that I am God. I've got this. Yeah. If you go to God in 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 that state and you come out with that Rafa, you're doing great regardless of when where or how you're coming to the lord that is a fantastic place to start this off and leave where do we go from here i mean exactly as you said it's a it's a great place to start i i think of this uh when i read this question i think of it as as just uh muscles that need to be worked out and um the place that i would start is is gratitude just learning how to thank God for small, specific stuff during the day. Um, re- just reminding yourself that everything comes from Him, and and um, when you do that, it, it just keeps you humble. It keeps you in the mindset of, I'm receiving something good from somebody who loves me, uh, somebody who wants good for me, somebody who wants me to experience joy and pleasure, who wants me to experience fulfillment, life to the fullest. And so... Uh, you know, just kind of specifically um, getting this workout of gratitude, uh, exercising those muscles, flexing those muscles of like, I am thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I'm thank and 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 starting small and really concrete. Like I'm thankful for 
you know, uh, I'm thankful for hot coffee. I'm thankful for a quiet room. I'm thankful for uh, clean clothes and, uh, you know, uh, a body that can exercise or a, a job that, that pays or whatever those things are in your life. Um, a mate who loves me, friends who contact me, all, all of that stuff being super specific. I mean, even if it's just something as simple as like socks in the sock drawer, um, uh, starting at that place of gratitude is going to get us in a place of uh, uh, flexing those muscles and you know, reminding ourselves that I am receiving the gifts of, of someone who cares about me, someone who loves me, and somebody who wants my best. That's very well put and a fantastic idea. And Jed, there's something Lisa in there which I think is a big key to this whole situation, um, especially when someone's saying, you know, I feel like there are times when I basically forget about God. And you mentioned reminding yourself everything is a God thing. And how does that little, how can we look at that, start putting building that into our thinking so we don't hit those moments where we kind of shift into this being a me thing? It's a great question, man. So, you know, our, our question asker says, how do I stay humble and connected to God when my life is going well? One of the things that I find interesting is it doesn't really matter the field. If you talk to people who are really, really successful, um, which I, in this case, I mean, in a, a worldly definition of success, um, and you try and press them on like, you know, what's the secret of your success? There are basically, I think, two extremes that you that you get, and then people kind of fall all kinds of interesting places in the middle. But extreme one is, man, I just got super lucky. Stuff just worked out for me, and I just got super lucky, and that's how I got to where I'm at. And then extreme two is, I worked unbelievably hard. I just, you know, it was 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 50 years, and that's how I got to where I am today. And again, you, you have people uh, that, that fall all kind of shades in between of, of how they think they got where they are. And it's just <clears throat> it's just an interesting thing, I think, because it reveals something about people's personalities that some people, when they're very successful, they look at it and they say, well, it it was pretty much given to me, at least in some sense. And then other people are like, no, I, I, I worked for it. I, I earned it. They're both interesting. I think that they both have elements of truth in it. But here's the interesting thing is the Bible actually has a perspective on that exact question. And what it would say is they're kind of both right and that they both owe it all to God. Um, there's a passage, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, I'll, I'll, we can double check the reference, but where God says, when things, when you get to this really good place in your life, I don't want you to look out at it and say, all this happened because how amazing I am and how hard I worked. Because I want, yeah. you, to un I want you to understand that I gave you the ability to work hard. I gave you everything. I gave you all that you have. It's this funny thing where the po the points in your life where you felt like you were lucky, that was me, God, coming through for you. And the points in your life where you felt like you were really working hard and applying yourself, that was still me, God, coming through for you. I gave you the opportunities to work hard at, and I gave you the strength and the energy and the personality and the drive to do that hard work. 
So no matter where you land on this continuum between, you know, good luck and hard work, it was me, God, making all of that happen for you. And so I think where that lands us is in this place of recognizing it all belongs to God. Every single thing we have, every opportunity we have, every material possession we have, every bit of success we have, it all belongs to God. And on that basis, you know, your question is, how do I stay humble and connected to God when my life is going well, is to recognize he owns it, man. It's his. Uh-huh. It's, 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 it's his life that is going well. It's his success that's being enjoyed. That's not to say that in a human sense that you, you didn't apply yourself or, or whatever, but in an ultimate fundamental spiritual sense, it means it's God's. He is the one who blessed you. He's the one who made it possible. And therefore, the thing that's really important is to stay in contact with him and and be asking regularly, God, what do you want me to do with all this that you've given me? Whatever those good times are, whatever the details are, whatever the magnitude of them is, God, you've given this to me and you've given it to me for a reason. What do you want me to do with this? That is all excellent stuff. And the passage uh, Jed mentioned there is in Deuteronomy 8, where uh, if you pick it up in verse 17, it says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. I think that really is a great uh, capstone verse for kind of what we're talking about here. And I... I think I want to I want to close this off with a, a reference back to where Glenn started us off because I think it's a very important part of don't get too deep into judging when you consider the Lord or talk to the Lord because um, this is one of the kind of rare instances in life where in an unadulterated sense more is more. Um, this the the problem the solution to this is more thinking about and talking to God. So we don't even have to get, these guys gave you a lot of great background, a lot of stuff to look at, but this idea that there's something fundamentally wrong with you or there's something like, I I lose the humility and don't get connected. There's a lot going on in this, but the, the, the bottom line solution is going to be talk to God more and think about God more. And that's a, that's a good solution as far as, as far as, uh, easily digestible and buildable solutions to problems that that is a pretty darn good one to have and we definitely believe you apply a lot of the good tips and wisdom these guys gave you you're going to be able to do that very very ably all right if you have a question for us say that podcast at gmail.com the bridgechicago.tumblr.com missionusa.com slash bridge blocks and as long as i'm throwing out links don't forget about facebook.com slash the bridge chicago particularly every tuesday 7 30 chicago time and archive we're gonna do our live bridge cast Speaking of our live bridge cast, one of the uh, great treats of that is Jed Brewer has been running some new worship songs for the people. Yes. We're going to take out with one of those. This is a new Jed song based on Joshua 1-9. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Let's say that podcast. We try our best, but sometimes we're just full of toilet. (laughs) I won't be afraid of my enemies I won't be dismayed by anything I see cause you go with me wherever I go you go with me so now I 
that's it. That's the whole song. You've got it. So you are ready to rock. Let's do it together now. I won't be afraid of my enemies. I won't be dismayed by anything I see.